0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. This episode of Hey Amarillo is supported by Wick Realty. Over five years, all 250 plus episodes of this podcast have been recorded in three different homes that I've lived in and Wick helped me buy and sell all of them. In a city filled with realtors and real estate companies, they truly are one of the best. And what I really love is that Wick is invested in seeing Amarillo flourish economically and socially for all groups of people. So if you're buying or selling, if you're building, if you're looking for investment property, talk to Katie Wick or one of her outstanding agents. That's wickrealty.com, W-I-E-C-K. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Rick Luby Homes online at ricklubyhomes.com and to 3ALE Custom Homes. Read the free e-edition of Brick and Elm at brickandelm.com and look for our new July-August issue in local newsstands this week. Today's guest is Jackie Namatau-Maldonado. Jackie was born in Amarillo and grew up here, but her parents came to Amarillo as a refugee family from Laos, and so Jackie grew up in that middle ground that so many refugee kids find themselves in, navigating between languages and cultural traditions, which was much easier for her than for her parents and growing up with Lao traditions while the family also celebrated Christmas and ate Burger King. Buddhism is the largest religion in Laos, and Jackie grew up within that religion as well, but today she works for Hillside North. And so that transition from Buddhism into Christianity is definitely something else that gets my attention. So there's a lot to talk about in this one. Here's Jackie. Jackie Namatau Maldonado. Did I say everything right? Yes, sir. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: Absolutely. I'm honored to have you, and I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about your story, but I want to start with you the same way. I start with all of my guests, and that's just ask you why you're here. How did you end up in the Amarillo area?
1: So I ended up in Amarillo, number one. Uh, I was born here um, in Amarillo. My parents are refugees um, from the country of Laos, They were, um, I guess, brought here um, to Amarillo um, in the late 70s. Okay. Um, And I was born in uh, the old High Plains Baptist Hospital in 1982. My mom was born in Pakse Laos and my dad was born in Takek, Laos. They um, met at a refugee camp. Oh, so they
0: didn't know each other until they were both refugees.
1: They didn't know each other until they were both refugees, and they met at a refugee camp um, in Thailand. Yeah, they met there. Um, My mom said that she came to the States first, to Buffalo, New York. And then my dad came later to Amarillo, Texas, of course, to work at back then at IBP, which is now Tyson. um, And she then followed him out here
0: but they were together when they came to the United States like had they gotten married or were they you know that's dating kind of, can you date refugees you know what or? yes
1: you know i've heard stories of people dating even getting married in really? refugee camps now you know we've tried to get some stories you know that when you try to talk to people um, you know it was a it's a tumultuous time um, right. there's a lot of hurts there and a lot of um things that went on and 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 really Trying to talk to people that have gone through that time, they generally don't talk about it. Mm -hmm. It was a terrifying time. My dad never really talked about it. And really, my mom doesn't talk a whole lot about it. So trying to get all those stories, it's all intertwined.
0: Do you know much about what was happening during those years that... Force them into a refugee scenario. I mean, whether you heard firsthand from your parents or not, like for listeners who don't know what was happening, for sure, that time.
1: for sure. Um, the little bits and pieces that I've gotten was that yeah, so the communists um, ha- came into the country and really um, they were really, really just were killing everybody, and so people were fleeing, were just trying to find refuge. Hence the name. Where it comes from. Refugee Camp. And lots of families were just um, hearing about these places. They didn't know they were called refugee camps at the time. For example, I was talking to my mom's side of the family, my uncles. Um, they uh, were just hearing about these places um, in Thailand where they can can get to for safety, swimming over there. Um, wow. Yeah, swimming across the Mekong River this dark, murky river mm-hmm. in the middle of the night with babies, you know, strapped on their backs and things like that for safety and not knowing really where everybody was and how long they were going to be there. So those are the stories that that I've heard, um, but not a whole lot of detail.
0: Do you still have family
1: there? My dad um, still has some family there. I still have a couple of aunties that still live over there that I have yet to meet.
0: Okay. I am always interested in family situations when you do come to a new place, Mm -hmm. you know, like your parents did, because obviously, they're not coming because they necessarily wanted to come. I mean, Mm -hmm. they're escaping and ended up here. Right. Um, But if you were born here, Mm -hmm. then like you didn't know anything else. And, And so there's a difference generationally related to how you feel about your home. And I wonder what that was like when you were a kid.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. So I mean, for example, my husband talks about, oh, my gosh, I would love to go to Laos sometime to visit your side of the family. And for a long time, I never really felt that urge to go back to visit a place where I don't really have a tie to. Mm -hmm. You know, I kind of feel like I'm Texan. Yeah, I'm an Amarilloan because this is all that I know. Um, and yes, we do still have some family there, but again, I've never, I've never met them. But now that I'm older um, and I'm, I'm hearing more stories and I'm, I'm feeling more connected and I'm telling, I'm trying to get my kids. They're, they're asking more questions sure. about their heritage and culture. Um, and there's, there's more pull for me to want to go back, and and dive into that a little bit
0: more. What was it like in your home? When you were young i'm curious like how tightly maybe parents will hold to their traditions whether it's you know dishes they loved or how households work and you know the, the things that are important to a family when you're also trying to assimilate into a new culture and a new place and an unknown place like did, did you grow up eating food from back home that oh, your parents for sure. loved and celebrating like holidays and all those
1: things. Yes and no. So foods, yes. M- my mom always cooked all of the Laos foods. We, you know, coming home from school, there was always sticky rice. Everybody mm-hmm. loves sticky rice, beef jerky. There was always chicken. We always had pho to eat, which are all great things. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, you know, my parents also loved tacos. Okay. My parents also loved Burger King Whoppers um, and and those types of things, but they also really did hold on to a lot of the cultures and things like that. Um, but also, they they really like to mix those two. I think. I think for my parents coming to a new country was really difficult for them um and trying to understand the mix of cultures like for example Christmas. Sure. Christmas was really difficult for them. They see they didn't understand the whole premise of of what Christmas was. They just know, "Hey, let's get this tree and we're going to buy gifts and put it under the tree." They didn't know the whole like
0: well, it's a religious holiday. A religious holiday. But you wouldn't always know that no. the way it's portrayed on "It's a Wonderful Life" or the absolutely Santa Claus not. or you know in in popular culture. So I can imagine that that would be absolutely not. strange I mean, as a kid. You want to celebrate Christmas? But and we like- did.
1: We had a tree. We had gifts. And I remember one day, like our neighbor across the street, uh, Miss Margaret, she was incredibly wonderful and always shared the gospel with us. Of course, my parents were just really cordial and polite, but she always had a sign that said "He is risen." My mom would be like, "Who is He, mm-hmm. and why did He rise? What does that mean?"
0: <laughs> so, but where? What neighborhood did you grow up in? Eastridge. Okay, Eastridge. So did you go to Eastridge and then Travis, Travis then and Palo I graduated Dura? from Palo okay. High School. Was it easy for your parents to settle? Like, did do you, do you have any sense of the struggle or the challenge of being uprooted like that? As a kid, you don't often know what's going on with your parents, but what have you heard?
1: You know what? For me, I didn't know any difference. Like, we lived in a really beautiful home. So, um, and I really didn't know the history of Eastridge until my adulthood of how there was an Air Force base and all these homes, beautiful homes. It was a a thriving
0: neighborhood where a lot of building was happening around that time.
1: Absolutely. I didn't know this. So my parents bought this brand new home. Um, And so I grew up in, in a beautiful home. And my parents worked very hard. So my dad worked at Tyson. My mom worked at a the Levi's plant, which a lot of okay. people don't the realize did, that there is a Levi's plant out on Twenty mm-hmm. Fourth Avenue. And I had new shoes. I had the best clothes. Um, the only thing that was the difference for me was um, my parents worked the A shift, both of them did, and I always had to get myself up every morning and get myself to school. So. I'm this little, I didn't realize this, but mm-hmm. I'm this little refugee kid um, in pre-K and kindergarten, got myself up, I brushed my own hair, got myself dressed, and walked to Eastridge every morning. Yeah. But can you imagine a little four-year-old, how I was dressed and how my hair was combed every morning?
0: But it it, <laughs> it says a lot about maybe the uh, the trust that your parents had, that Absolutely. you can figure stuff out, you know? Absolutely. And- Absolutely. Tell me about, you know, going to Palo Duro and then then trying to decide, okay, what am I going to do with my life after this? Did you have a sense of what you wanted to do or be?
1: Oh, man. You know, growing up, you know, through elementary and, you know, middle school is hard anyway, and getting through high school. Identity was something that I really struggled with. Um, number one, identity is hard anyway as a normal Teenager, and then me realizing that I was kind—I was different. Mm-hmm. My parents are refugees, and I'm growing up on this side of town. That's most people realize. I realize that it's not the best side of town to grow up in, and and there's kind of a stigma that's attached to it. Um, but I realized that I I didn't want to be portrayed as this little refugee okay. girl, right? So I decided that I um, was going to graduate early. Um, I was going to be this doctor, I was going to make this money, and I'm going to get out of here. So I did. I graduated early. I wasn't the top of my class, um, and a lot of things transpired between then, Um, but I did. I graduated after three years, um, got my high school diploma, started going to AC. Things didn't turn out the way that they did. Um, I did get the ACE scholarship. I was like maybe the second or third class. ACE had just started. At that time, um, but you know, again, because Ace just started, there wasn't a whole lot of um, guidance as far as like what you should do with that money. Right. It's just not free money to go all willy nilly. But they're they're doing a great job now with Thrive and yes, things like that. Yes, now known as Thrive. Absolutely.
0: But. Did you did you have a community as a kid? I mean, I, I know there's a pretty sizable Laotian and Thai community in Amarillo. Mm-hmm. It probably is clustered you know, in Mm. at least the Paladuro cluster, Mm -hmm. like, did you feel like there were friends who had some sense of, of that shared identity, I guess, that, that you knew was different for you?
1: There was a community, but there was also a struggle. I mean, this was early to mid nineties and we were all, I feel like struggling with, with identity. I mean, there were a lot of gangs. There were a lot of just power struggles I mean way back then it was a whole lot of um racial struggles mm-hmm. between Asians Hispanics blacks whites I mean it was just a real thing I'd hate to like look over that and not speak on it but there really
0: was yeah I, I think that's true that, mm-hmm. that there were there was more. Turbulence, I guess. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that was around the time of the Brian Dennehy killing. Mm-hmm. Uh, was also in the nineties. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of stuff that I, I think was going on at every high school, but Paladuro, yeah. as diverse mm-hmm. as it was, probably has
1: mm-hmm. a lot
0: more stories like that.
1: And I, I mean, I, I tried to stay out of that as best as I could. I mean, I mean, I had all kinds of friends, but. You, you couldn't stay out of it. I mean, it, it, there was a stigma in like, okay, so you're Asian, so you really only should be talking and hanging out with the Asian people by the tennis courts. You really shouldn't be over here hanging out with the jocks. You know okay. what I mean?
0: What kinds of stereotypes did you face as, whether it's someone who's Asian or someone who lived on that part of town or someone who – came from a refugee background. I mean, was was there certain things that you felt like you had to deal with, you know? I, I mean, it sounds like that was on your mind when you were in high Absolutely. school, that that was part of your experience.
1: Absolutely. Um I mean, the number one thing is that you were uneducated, that right. you didn't speak English, that your parents were uneducated, but really at the end of it like my both of my parents came from very wealthy families. Hmm. My dad was college educated my dad came from a family of educators but all people saw was that my dad worked at Tyson right and that my mom worked for Levi Strauss and yes here in America none of that really translates and i think that's the narrative i want to try to change now is the that label of we're not they're not just refugees right they had lives before being here, before their lives were turned upside down. There are doctors and attorneys amongst this label of refugees.
0: Right. And if you are a doctor in one country, mm-hmm. that license does not transfer here. Nope. And if you don't know the language, like it's hard Absolutely. to just go from a, a a job that's the same, you know, mm-hmm. but in a different country. And so mm-hmm. you end up at a meatpacking plant.
1: Absolutely. Like my dad taught math. Hmm. My dad taught geometry and all these things, and and here people wouldn't bat an eye towards him, and it frustrated me so as a high schooler when I would have to take him to the store or the doctor and had to translate for him. You know, it frustrated me a lot.
0: Have they been able to become comfortable with the language, or has that been a struggle? I know it's always a, a struggle for a lot of adults learning mm-hmm. a new language. It's easy for a kid.
1: Absolutely. But it it got better. Um, my dad has since passed away. My mom is still living, and still, still. So she just prefers. She just chooses not to um, speak English. Like even now, she'll go to the doctor, and she, it's just easier to pretend like she doesn't mm-hmm. understand the language when she very well does understand. <laughs> that the can language. be dangerous. For people,
0: Absolutely. Right? <laughs> So Absolutely. tell me about what happened uh, as you started going to AC and, and figuring out uh, what you wanted to do. I guess the, the doctor career didn't pan out.
1: No, it didn't. <laughs> um, so, well, and really, truly, I, you know, was trying to navigate all those things myself, being first generation, trying to navigate um, because I was still trying to work full time because I needed to help with the household um, financials and things like that and just trying to navigate money and like financial aid and FAFSA what is this what does these through these words mean and and really my parents couldn't help with any of that either and
0: it's a lot it, it's like, a lot I don't understand how a kid does it without the support of a larger family because we've gone through that just with my own kids and Absolutely. it's a lot I,
1: I mean we're my husband and I are going through that with our kids and I'm like remind me again can somebody help? So yes, uh, we. I went through all of that, and we went. I went through a couple of years of college, but um, through all of that, um, I got pregnant. Okay. Um, at the age of nineteen, which my daughter is twenty now, and she's incredible. But I got hooked up with um, an incredible job at Amarillo Heart Group with a okay. great doctor uh, that uh, really mentored me through the years, and he supported me and just really pushed me through and encouraged me.
0: So, Did you get to that point and think, okay, maybe I won't be able to go through medical school and all those things, but I'm still working in the medical field, Mm -hmm. and and this is what I'm going to do? Like, did did that field, this is what my career is going to be? I'll just keep doing this thing? Or did it still feel temporary?
1: No, absolutely. I loved being in the medical field. For one, Um, my senior year of high school, we're backtracking a little bit. My mom had been really sick since I was about five years old. She was diagnosed with lupus. I didn't know what that was when I was younger, but she was in and and out of the hospital a whole lot. Um, And being a refugee kid, when I was five and six and seven years old, my dad would leave me at the hospital with her to translate to translate. Wow. Um, and so it was at that time, I decided I wanted to be in the medical field. So um, my senior year of high school, she had to undergo chemotherapy treatments for the lupus. Um, and that was the year also that Levi Strauss, um, the plant closed. Okay, And so um, my mom also decided, well, Levi Strauss um, offered to all of their employees uh, a severance package for closing up um, to either go get a college education or a GED. And my mom decided to go back to school to get her GED. So she was getting her GED and I was going to college. So we got a home computer for the first time. But she was also um, going through chemotherapy treatment at wow, that time.
0: That's really impressive.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we were going through all of that together. So that's why I decided, like, I really like this medical thing. Okay. But it all started from when I was younger, when my okay. mom got diagnosed with that this. That makes sense. And, and mm-hmm. I've heard that
0: story before, that, mm-hmm. that so many kids are thrust into that sort of responsibility that, you know, no seven-year-old should be absolutely. translating about chemotherapy or anything for their mm-hmm. parents. hmm um, and and it's I'm always so impressed that kids can get through that sort of thing, um,
1: and that they trusted us to. Yeah, do exactly, so.
0: exactly. Tell me about. I mean, obviously, you've stayed here in Amarillo. Did you ever think I'm going to leave here and go do something else, or did your your family kind of keep you here? You know,
1: I tried to move for a season um, back in 2001, and that idea lasted for about 2 months. Uh, it was exactly right when the Twin Towers happened. Okay. I uh, hopped on a plane and I flew to Dallas. I went to sleep. The next morning, I woke up. My I was staying with my cousin at the time and he was like, "How could you be sleeping at a time like this?" I'm like, "What are you talking about?" Um and so that's when I decided. I'm like, "I'm coming back home." Okay. I don't need to be so that, Here. that
0: influenced your decision.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just, I came back home.
0: Okay. So I, I know that, uh, that you have a different career right now I uh, do. and I wonder how that transition happened.
1: Um, you know what, that tr- transition happened accidentally, but not accidentally. Um, so I met my now husband, um, about 20 years ago and he's Catholic. I did grow up Buddhist. um, And really, I don't know a whole lot about it. And, you know, growing up, you know, we went to temple on the special occasions. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how often that is. We didn't go weekly. I think we went probably monthly. And so we went to temple every so often. We did all the things that you're supposed to do. I don't know. I wish I could tell you more, but was I, it a,
0: a huge part of your family life, or was it maybe an obligation, or a way that they held on to something from that?
1: Maybe a way that they held on to, but we did all the things. Like we went to temple, we went to go pray with the monks. I was so young. I don't mm-hmm. know. I don't think it was month or weekly. For sure, it was probably monthly. We went to pray. I sat there. And I prayed. Well, I sat there with Like my a bunch of kids sit with their absolutely, parents in church. Absolutely. Of any absolutely. sort of church. Do I know what they were saying? Absolutely not. Yeah. But we were there faithfully. And every Loud New Year, we were there faithfully celebrating, doing all of the things. And fast forward, um, I met my husband about 20 years ago. He was Catholic. Um, and we were just kind of going on about our lives. Uh, we had three kids Together, were we going to the Catholic Church? No, we were not.
0: Okay, okay. so it didn't seem like there's this divide <laughs> no. between us. I grew up Buddhist. You Absolutely grew up Catholic, not. We like
1: didn't that. have that conversation, and we were just going. And really, one day, one of our friends um, basically just said, "Hey, there's." We, we started going to this church. It's called Hillside. It's on Bell. They started a new series. You should join us. It's a new marriage series. Um, I said, "Sure." My husband said, eh, "Maybe." And she said, they serve coffee. And he said, what time? <laughs> so it was the coffee that got us there.
0: Well, A lot of churches have used that Absolutely. as a form of outreach or donuts or
1: Absolutely. hot
0: dogs, whatever.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Did that feel, when you went that time, did it feel foreign?
1: You know what? For me, no. I felt very welcomed.
0: I mean, I'm thinking of somebody who grew up going to Hillside being invited to the Buddhist temple. Absolutely. That would have felt very different.
1: Yeah. No. Well, no, it didn't. I felt very welcomed because it wasn't my first time going to a church. So growing up, my dad, my mom and dad never really said no, absolutely not. Mm -hmm. Um, My parents were very like, hey, you go as long as you do good. That was my dad's Biggest thing, as long as you do good, Jackie. And and here's the thing with religion. When we talk about, and I can't speak for any other family or any other refugees um, or any other religion. Um, for my family specifically, you know, the church van would always come. Mm-hmm. You just You just put them in the church van. I grew up going to First Baptist Church. Okay. I grew up going to any other local church van that would come up and pick up all of the refugee kids. Just get on the van. They feed you snacks. They do good things. You just go with the van, you know.
0: Well, and and Buddhism's not a real, from what I know, not a real competitive religion. It's not Mm -hmm. like... You can't go do this other thing because everything sort of fits within Buddhism. It's it's a little bit looser. Sure. Uh in, in how it views the world. Sure. And so that that's interesting that, that mm-hmm. your parents just were not that concerned about, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. church vans. They or, were
1: very trusting. And I think back now, like, gosh, would I just like let my kid go on this like random van?
0: Happened a lot.
1: I know. It did, especially in the eighties, didn't mm-hmm. it?
0: So <laughs> you you and your husband ended up at Hillside. And it was new for both of you, but you felt welcome there.
1: I did. I felt very welcomed. And really, I was very intrigued. I don't quite remember that message, but I was very intrigued. Um, my husband struggled with it a little bit more because of his Catholic background. Um, and my, my kids, of course, loved it. We dropped them off in the kids area and we could hear them, um, you know, in the pickup line. You know, our oldest daughter... Just we can hear her yelling at us like, Mom, are we coming back next week? We're like, Whoa, whoa, wait a yeah. minute, today's our first day. So
0: Church Church can be a lot of fun for kids. Absolutely. If if they do it right. hmm Was there a part of it I I don't know. I'm I'm just curious about the the type of people who are not especially churchgoers. Mm-hmm. For you it was a different religion. For your husband, it was a, a very different side of mm-hmm. Christianity to me it would feel like there's a lot of a lot of thinking and talking and conversation that has to go into are we going to become part of this church community because it requires like some breaks you know mm-hmm. you're leaving the religion of your parents mm-hmm. and that culture the the Catholic faith is just as strong, uh, especially within Mm -hmm. your husband's culture. And so like having to step out of that into something new, it it feels like it's fraught with a lot of weird feelings and emotions. I wonder if that's true for you.
1: Yes. Believe it or not, it was more difficult for us to start something new like this, jumping into Hillside for my husband than it was for me. Hmm. We had a lot of conversations, a lot of fights, a lot of arguments about coming back and visiting again um and and in hindsight it, it, it was his battle because he already had a relationship right mm-hmm. spiritually um, and I didn't and I was intrigued I wanted to know more and he had this this just internal battle he might have been
0: defensive maybe he
1: was he you know I mean he was crazy enough to to think like, this is not. This is not. A, this is not the same Bible. It's not. The, I'm like, well, this might be silly, but isn't isn't this the same God? Isn't this the same Jesus? You know, um, it takes that
0: outsider's perspective though to to kind of help people see.
1: Absolutely, and those are the kind of questions that I was asking initially, and and so, um, but yeah, we we went round and round and round, and and at the end of it, um, he basically said, hey, listen. Um you, if you and the kids decide you want to go back to Hillside, you guys go, but I'm gonna stay back. Hmm. Um, so for weeks, I got up every Sunday morning, got these kids dressed, and we went to church every Sunday morning, and he stayed back.
0: What shifted to get him involved?
1: You know what? I wish I knew. Um, and now, maybe
0: that's his podcast. I should have him come on.
1: Absolutely, too. and he'd be you you should hear his story um because he is a pastor now. Um, but, uh, I asked him, um, cause it was weeks, um, weeks and weeks. And, and now that I've asked him like, what was it? And he said, you know, to be quite honest, it was my pride. Hmm. Initially that got me up the very first day. Um, you know, I remember that day, um, I got up, got dressed. I went upstairs to check on the kids to get them ready. And I remember coming downstairs and he was in the shower. And I remember asking him, like, hey, where are you going today? And it was hunting season. And I thought maybe he was, like, going hunting or something. And uh, he, like, mumbled, like, I'm going to church. And I kind of just left it there. I didn't draw it out from him. I said, okay. And he went to church. And he said, I'm going, but I'm not listening. And he did just that. He, you remember the old BlackBerry phones? Yeah. The yeah. business phones. Mm-hmm. And so he went and he was on his BlackBerry the whole time for the first couple, three weeks. And But there was one sermon. I wish I could remember what it was where when we uh, left church one day, he asked a question and we started a dialogue. And that was when things changed mm. for our entire family.
0: Tell me what you do now.
1: So I work for Hillside Christian Church. Um, My official title is Kids Director. Okay. But there's so much more to that.
0: Is it Kids Director for the entire church or is it?
1: No. So I work for um, the North Grand Campus. So Hillside has um, 11 physical campuses. Uh, We have 12 campuses Mm -hmm. if you count our online campus. Um, But I work for the North Grand Campus, which is in Amarillo on um, the corner of 24th and, and grand. grand.
0: Yeah. So I, I know that a former podcast guest, Brady Clark, uh, was a pastor at Hillside North, I think when it was first beginning, uh-huh. uh, and had ties all the way back then. Um, and I wonder if you could tell me what that that church community is like now, because it is still in a very diverse part of town. Mm-hmm. Multiple cultures there, multiple languages, yeah. probably multiple religious traditions. Absolutely. What does... What does your ministry as a kids director look like in that scenario?
1: Hey, so on a Sunday morning um, as a kids director, it doesn't look very different from any other campus, really, if you think about it. Um, we have kids, regular kids from um, schools all around the city. We have um, congregants that come in from north, south, east, and west that drive in okay. on a Sunday morning. Uh now, if we talk about outreach Monday through Thursday, uh, we have friends that um, are Muslim. We have friends that are um, Muslim, that are Afghani, mm-hmm. uh, that are Somali, that are all around us in our little neighborhood, in our little shopping center that we just love and adore and and um, that are just our friends.
0: Tell me what it's like working and ministering on that side of town, mm-hmm. does it feel really difficult? Or does it feel like, wow, there's this, there's this open field for the harvest? You know, there's so many different people here and different opportunities to build relationships and have conversations.
1: You know what? It just makes me excited to be on that side of town. Had you asked me um, 10 years ago, um, being in the place that I was at, If I would be, um, number one, in ministry, Mm -hmm. number two, back on that side of town, I would have told you that you're crazy, but look at God, right? And I think God has placed me in the perfect position to minister to people because I can speak um, into not only the refugee community, but into the people that do live there, that have grown up there. And I can say, hey, look, I grew up here, too. And I understand where you're coming from,
0: speaking of of having grown up here, I, I wonder what is your perspective on Amarillo just as a city? Mm-hmm. I, I think the the prejudice about Amarillo is that it's a you know, it's a very white cowboy town, you know. And your experience of it is certainly not that because you came from at least your parents came from another country you came in a different scenario you grew up uh in in a more diverse environment i wonder like when you think of amarillo what do you think about what what kind of personality does it have gosh y'all amarillo is so diverse i mean i don't think
1: that yes amarillo is a cowboy town depending on where you go okay yes but we don't ride on horses People ask me that all the time. I have family that live in California and New York City and Florida. And they're like, I mean, you guys ride like horses to school? And I'm like, I've I've never ridden a horse in my entire life. Mm -hmm. Um, But we're diverse. And I think that's the beautiful part of our city. I mean, people dream of traveling to China and to Africa, you know, to live out their mission, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't have to. You can just take a ten-minute drive and and do mission work right here in your city and 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 meet people and and grow to love different cultures. You know, um, my daughter, we were out of town somewhere traveling, and she found this shirt, and it said, um, "Make friends that don't look like you," hmm. and I love it, and I think. That's what Amarillo is. Like, you have the potential to make so many friends that don't look like you. We don't get that in a lot of places.
0: Hey, Amarillo is also supported this week by the Texas Outdoor Musical. We are smack in the middle of the Texas Panhandle summer. And if you haven't gone out to Paladuro Canyon to see the show, then your summer is not yet complete. I think this is something that should be on the bucket list of every visitor to the Texas Panhandle and every resident of the texas panhandle i really do believe that texas is a cultural institution but it's also been refreshed this year under the leadership of stephen crandall who was a former guest on this podcast and the slightly updated version this year is fantastic you can reserve your dinner and performance tickets now at texas-show.com where you can choose your seats online starting at a little more than 20 dollars per show It only runs through mid-August, so go get those tickets now. That's texas-show.com. And one more thing, as in years past, this podcast is the lead sponsor for the Hey Amarillo Beer Fest, coming up July 23rd at Starlight Ranch. At this celebration of local beer culture, you can sample beer from independent breweries who are from Amarillo, Lubbock, Dumas, Borger, and beyond. That's Saturday, July 23rd, at Starlight Ranch. Watch for ticket info soon. Okay, I'm back with Jackie Namatau Maldonado, and this is part of the show, Jackie, I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum and Canyon on the WT campus. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes a shovel-tusked mastodon, which was a prehistoric mammal that's a short-legged cousin of the elephant and it was discovered here in Lipscomb County in the northwest corner of the Panhandle. Uh, So I can just imagine the days when those things lived around here. You can learn more and actually see that uh, fossilized skeleton at panhandleplains.org. Okay, this is part of the show I call Eight Straight, and I'm starting with a question that I haven't asked very many guests. It's a relatively new question, but when you think of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for?
1: I hope that we can be a thriving metropolis of a city okay like our downtown like it has so much potential to be great um we have so many young people and and really with the thrive that's that's upcoming, mm-hmm. you know. Emerald College and WT keeping so many of our youth right. here
0: and training them, like for the oh, workforce.
1: Oh man, oh man, what if we have so many businesses just keeping that here, and we're just offering lots of fun things to do downtown? Like, what if we had like a little river? It'd dry up, but what <laughs> if we had one?
0: Have to think about downtown. the water usage if I mean, we did that. I mean, this is true. We draw a lot of people.
1: I mean, I just think of like. People like water
0: here. I
1: know. I don't know. I just, you know, when, you know, the idea came up for us to have a thriving downtown, I just got super excited about that. So um, my hope and my dream that in 10 years we would have something like that
0: okay. here. Other than wind, what does this area have too much of?
1: Youth Little League sports.
0: We have too much of it.
1: I think so. Okay. Do you think that's a bad thing? I don't think it's a bad thing. I think there's a lot. I mean, you know, being in ministry, I mean, I love to go and try to see everybody at least once, Mm -hmm. you know, but it makes it kind of difficult when everybody is in everything. They're so competitive.
0: And it does compete with other activities, it does. I, I remember when I was a kid. You know, you never practiced on Wednesdays. Man. Never did anything, had games or anything on Sunday. Like all the, those, those were reserved, mm-hmm. you know, because of church. Mm-hmm. And that has changed. I mean, people are traveling on weekends. They're practicing every night of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if you are in a ministry position, like mm-hmm. I, I imagine, that can feel like it's hard to break through these busy schedules that kids have.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean, there's so many now that. There are no other nights of the week Mm -hmm. to practice or to have a game. Um, But even so, there's no more spaces left.
0: Okay. What does this area not have enough of?
1: Diverse places to eat. Okay. It's coming. It's getting there. I just like to eat.
0: What do you think of when you think of diverse? Like, what, What do we not have that you wish we had?
1: More Middle Eastern food. More diverse Asian food, a broader spectrum of Asian food.
0: Like we've got Thai food covered.
1: Uh, Plenty of Thai food But we've got
0: some holes when you think of other types of Asian cuisine.
1: Absolutely. Like we, I mean, a noodle bar's coming. Mm -hmm. They're getting there with the dumplings. We love it. Um, You know, we have ramen. That's getting there. There's Korean
0: barbecue places coming that I've heard.
1: Super excited about that! It's not coming fast enough. I think we need two or three Korean barbecue places.
0: I want to ask you this because I've got you here. Yeah. Uh, I know there's a lot of overlap between Laotian and Thai mm-hmm. um, cuisine. Mm-hmm. Most places in Amarillo say that they're Thai places, but I know that they've got a lot of you know Laotian dishes. Mm-hmm. Like in your family, mm-hmm. do you go eat at the Thai restaurants? Does it feel like what you might eat at home or is it a little bit different? So,
1: most of the Thai restaurants are run by Lao families. Okay. I think I don't want to speak for them either. I think that maybe most people are maybe hesitant to go to a restaurant if it were called a Lao restaurant
0: because they're familiar maybe with Thai food. Maybe, as a maybe.
1: But Um, But, yeah, the authentic um, dishes would be like the lap, would be the sticky rice, Mm -hmm. would be the papaya salad. You know, um, those are the authentic um, type Lao dishes. Now, I'm not super familiar with what authentic Thai dishes are either. But when I go to some of the restaurants, also when you're looking at the the menu, Mm -hmm. chow mein is technically... Not either or, right? Nor is fried rice. Well, pizza so, was
0: invented in the United States, I mean, although it's supposed to be Italian. So, yeah, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of weirdness happening with yeah. international cuisine. Okay, yeah. I'm, I appreciate that answer. Then, mm-hmm. how do you describe Amarillo to people outside the area? Friendly,
1: friendly, friendly, friendly.
0: Does that feel like it's a unique thing here compared to other places?
1: I think so. I mean. We could go four hours north, south, east, or west. And I think anywhere you go here, people look at you in the eyes and they say hi, even just a nod, a thumbs up, you know, Um, and not, and if you, I mean, I'm always saying hi or waving or giving a thumbs up. And, you know, sometimes if you're not in a place of Amarillo, they kind of look at you kind of funny or don't look at you at all. Yeah. So...
0: My, my kids traveled to new jersey last week and they walked around the city they were in and they came back and they said people don't say hi to you there
1: Mm-mm.
0: Mm-mm. we traveled got to, their attention
1: yeah we traveled to ohio and man um i accidentally like swiped somebody you know on the shoulder and i turned around and i you know i said i'm so sorry and i'm sorry i you would have thought i was like those were fighting words. I'm sorry. Yeah. I spoke to you. It was so. probably
0: more offensive that you talked than Absolutely. that you
1: bumped the person. So yeah.
0: Okay, what's one local nonprofit that you love?
1: Oh man, do I have to pick one?
0: pick a couple if you want to.
1: Gosh. So I love Eastridge Mission Center mm-hmm. um, because I love the work that they do with uh, the refugee kids and the families out there in Eastridge. Um, I love Mission 2540. Okay. Um, I'm aware of that ministry. Are you? (laughs) Because of what they do, again, with the kids and um, not only refugees, but just kids, period, Mm -hmm. and really just any local church. Okay. Yeah.
0: Have you found that – I know Hillside, you know, has – spread into a lot of places are are a lot a lot of the older churches that are in that side of town Mm -hmm. you know the northeast side of town are they working within those communities maybe without the you know the obviously the the funding and budget that hillside Mm -hmm. brings to it but Mm -hmm. are they doing a similar kind of work
1: absolutely they are and that's something um that my husband and i are trying to change is that trying to work together yeah that we're working for the same kingdom um, that we don't have to we're not competing with one another, that we're we're working together to bring forth the same heart mm-hmm. and the same mission. Um, but yes, there are so many churches on all sides of town that are doing so many great things. Um, I mean, that's how we stumbled upon um Pastor Mike, yeah, you know, with Easter's Mission Center and Easter Baptist Church. and um, so many other churches like Pastor Wheatley Bell. I'm not going to, I don't remember the name of his church off the top of my head, but.
0: Okay. What's your favorite local restaurant?
1: Oh my gosh. So my favorite local restaurant was Lee's Cafe, but she closed. Where was that? That was in Eastridge in the shopping center there um, next to the Tootin' Totem.
0: What kind of food was it? it was Lao food. Okay.
1: Um, my, uh, second favorite now is Asian Bistro is on Amarillo Boulevard All right. and Laos. they serve Lao and Thai food.
0: Is it, is it the kind of food that you can go eat or your mom could eat and know, okay, this is, this is authentic.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: This is not the McDonald's version of, no, of Thai food or it's Lao not, food. It's not. Okay. That's good to know then. Mm-hmm. What's your favorite local coffee shop?
1: Okay. So I have two. So my favorite hot coffee is the Honey Badger from Palace Coffee. All right. And then my favorite cold coffee is the iced poor man from Roasters.
0: Okay. Why that one specifically? Because I, I know a lot of um let's say my kids' friends who really like that iced poor man. What yes. do you like about it?
1: You know what? It's hard to say, but it's it's sweet, but it still has the coffee flavor. That's why I like it. Now, I've tried lots of um, other things, iced, and it just doesn't translate well. So I don't know why I like it so much, but I do. It's just a really good iced beverage. It's refreshing.
0: All right. (laughs) Well, it's been a summer where people need those refreshing iced beverages for sure. It is. Last question. When was the last time you visited Cadillac Ranch? Last summer. All right. What was the occasion?
1: So I do some photography on the side, and so I went out there um, and photographed a senior.
0: Okay. Was it difficult to get your senior with without other people in the shot, in the background, as crowded as it can be out there?
1: That day, particularly, no, because we went we went in the evening, and no, there were a lot of people out there. I guess.
0: Surprising then.
1: Surprisingly, yeah it it just was the perfect timing, I guess.
0: Okay. Well, Jackie, that concludes the eight straight questions. I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would want listeners to know about or to experience?
1: I am going to endorse many things. But one thing at the same time is um, there are so many nonprofits out there that need us to go out there and and serve, um, whether it's Mission 2540, Eastridge Mission Center, Uh, Mission Amarillo, Um, they need you to just go out there to make a difference. Um, Even if it's your local church or organization, just go out there, make a difference. Um, They need you. They need your body. They need your smile. They need your love. Go out there.
0: Right. That's a good word. Plenty of opportunities to get there. Plenty
1: of opportunities to go out there and meet somebody, make new friends that don't look like you.
0: That's that's an excellent goal, and it's a great place to end the conversation. Mm-hmm. Jackie Namatal Maldonado, thanks for being on the podcast. Hey,
1: thanks for having me.
0: And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks to Jackie for the interview. Thanks to Angelina Marie for editing this episode, and also thanks to sponsors the Texas Outdoor Musical, Wick Realty, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum for supporting Hey Amarillo. This podcast exists on a weekly basis because of listeners like you, so thank you for listening to it, and the local people who support it financially through patreon.com slash Amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jess Heredia, Wilson Lemieux, Josh Wood, Corey Burns, Wes Reeves, Patrick Burns, Jason Burr, Katie Linger, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 254. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.